0: Grilling season is here and you may be looking for the perfect wine pairing for your delicious summer cooking. The Federalist offers a lineup of American craft wines that are bold, full-bodied, and crafted with as much quality and character as the men they celebrate. Each bottle featuring audacious takes on traditional styles. The Federalist is the perfect companion to anything that you're grilling up tonight. You can use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at Uncork.com. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed, helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, to Dine for the Podcast. On today's episode, we are meeting Naomi Shah.
1: The more stories that we're able to tell the more voices that are able to be heard, and then the
0: more we can bring those voices into mainstream entertainment. Naomi Shah is the founder and CEO of Meet Cute, a modern media company that produces original scripted rom-coms in podcast form. Meet Cute is already redefining the rom-com category by creating these bite-sized doses of feel-good content. They've already created more than 300 that prioritizes diverse storytelling and characters by telling stories across the full spectrum of love. Before starting Meet Cute, Naomi was a member of the investment team at Union Square Ventures. And before that, she worked at Goldman Sachs and studied mechanical engineering at Stanford University. Naomi has such a fascinating career trajectory, and I can't wait for you to meet Naomi Shah. Hi, Naomi. How are you? good how are you doing excellent thank you so much for joining me on to dine for the podcast of course of course thank you for reaching out i am really excited to talk to you about your career meet cute um but i'm going to begin this podcast the way i begin all of my podcasts by asking what is your favorite restaurant if you could take me to one place that really you just love where would that be
1: I love this place in Portland, Oregon, which is where I'm from, called Bamboo Sushi.
0: Mm. Highly
1: recommend if you've ever, if you ever plan on visiting Portland, they make incredibly unique sushi dishes. And also the whole restaurant ambiance is so different. I think a lot of it is like a training ground for people that are going to go work at like Michelin star restaurants later. So it's just a really cool Experience. It's in like the best neighborhood in Portland, in my opinion. And there's one dish there, the Green Machine. That like every time I land in Portland, that's the first thing I crave.
0: You have to have the Green Machine. And what is in the Green Machine? It's
1: a vegetarian sushi roll. It's tempura vegetables. There's an avocado kind of top to the sushi, and then they make their own aioli sauce that like drips yes, it. and it's crunchy. It's perfect. It's fresh.
0: It like never fails. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. I've never been. Do you know I've never been to Portland, Oregon? It is on my list. Yes. And I'm bamboo sushi. I'm now going to make a mental note that that's exactly where I need to go. I'm really interested in your early days growing up in Portland. You went to Stanford. I believe you studied mechanical engineering. And I'm just wondering, like, when you're in college and you're thinking of your future self, What did you think you would become? And I I can imagine it had nothing to do with rom-coms.
1: You're correct.
0: Um, (laughs) I actually went into
1: Stanford thinking that I was going to either be a doctor or Mm. get an MD-PhD and do something in environmental health, which is where I'd spent a lot of my childhood kind of researching and, and, and was really interested in that space. And then I got to Stanford and it was like, Here are so many different interesting courses, explore this, explore that. And I loved that. I thought it was like a playground academically speaking. Yeah. It wasn't until I worked in venture capital after I graduated that I started to spend time with early stage founders and really think about what it would look like to put together a very early stage company and to take an idea from what an idea is all the way to something that actually has impact on millions of people, an entity that employs people, that creates something. And so I actually had no like background in media or entertainment when I started Meet Cute, besides being a consumer myself. Like rom-coms are my favorite genre of content. Right, me too. <laughs> it's, it's hard to not like it. But I do think I leveraged a lot of what I learned in my engineering coursework, just like more of the way that I problem solved and the way that I thought about something from a process perspective rather than as like one offs.
0: Let's back up here because how did you get from you know this engineering mindset to Goldman Sachs? Let's first begin with that like pivot and that leap. Was Goldman Sachs one of your first jobs out of college? It was. Yes. Okay. And what was the decision there? Why, why Goldman Sachs? I wanted to live in New York <laughs> <Okay>. and then <laughs> I um, love the honesty. Yeah. And then they
1: actually came to Stanford recruiting STEM majors um, okay. because something that I actually really loved about that job is so I was an equity trader at Goldman, which basically meant that I was on a really fast flow trading desk and I was trading ETFs, which are basically bundles mm-hmm. of stocks. And I loved the Part of my brain that it used, where it was based on pattern recognition. It was like, mm. okay, here's how this news is going to impact the value of this trade. So th- then it's going to lead to this outcome and how we trade it out. And I thought that mm. that was just a really cool way to apply what I learned and what I was good at with data and engineering to a problem that I had no idea how to solve, which was like something in the financial market. So the advice that I give to people now is. You can find a way to apply your degree and what you learn to almost anything. It's really just about how you problem solve and how you think through something logically. And so I actually think that finance was a great first job for me because I learned how to apply so much of what I learned in college to a completely new problem that I'd never seen before. Mm. And I also, Goldman being like a behemoth organization, I learned how to be an employee for the first time how to work in a hierarchy, how to have a boss, how to send emails. And I do credit them with a lot of like the skills that today I can like cold email almost anyone and hope that they will respond back. And like, you know, there are things that I think I would never have thought Goldman could have taught me that I ended up carrying through my next few jobs.
0: Well, first of all, you're in such a fascinating job right now, which we will get to, I promise. But I, I really feel like what you're saying right now is gonna be so inspiring to younger people who are trying to figure it out and they know what they're interested in, but they can't see a path forward to a job that's, that feels right. Mm-hmm. And and from what I'm hearing you say is, you know, you kind of struck out in a bold manner in the sense that you took the best job, probably paid pretty well for a, a recent college graduate, you lived yeah. in the city you wanted to live, and you knew that it was a chance to learn. And you just kind of went with that. It was, it was sort of a, you know, a wing and a prayer sort of, right? Absolutely.
1: And I think that that's where you land the most interesting jobs that actually are going to fit not just your resume, but also your personality. Yes. And that's something that I learned when I was recruiting was that people would look at my resume and be like, wow, she's so technical, but they couldn't mm. see the side of me that wanted to talk to people that wanted to get to know someone like mm. wanted to tell a story about that person or to that person. So I remember going into my Goldman interview and asking them to flip my resume over because I was like, you can read my resume. Like that will tell you one thing about me. I want to tell you what's not on my resume, which is like, Ooh, good. I am as a person. Yes. And that was the first time that I was like, I don't need to be defined by my technical skill set. I can take that and then add on my personality and go get a career path that I'm really excited about.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, that's really good. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. So at some point in your Goldman Sachs journey, you made the decision to leap to Union Square Ventures. Will you explain what that job was, why you made the leap and what you loved about it?
1: Absolutely. So Union Square Ventures, for those who don't know, is an early stage technology venture firm. And what that means is that they, they invest in technology companies at the earliest stage of launching. So some of the investments that USV had made were Twitter, SoundCloud, Etsy, Kickstarter. A lot of brands that today we take for granted We're like, of course, mm-hmm. they've always been there. But USV kind of took a bet on those very early on. So I was sitting at Goldman. I loved the challenge of applying my skill set to financial markets, but I wasn't exercising the creative part of my brain. And I felt like that was something that was missing from my job for me. Um, Something that people don't really know because I didn't minor in it at Stanford. I just took all these classes on the side is that I would always supplement my engineering classes with a creative writing class or some mm. kind of language arts class.
0: Amazing. Um,
1: like I liked writing. I liked that type of analysis, but like I can't major in three things. So I was like, I just <laughs> need to choose one and then take these fun classes on the side.
0: And did you, did you enjoy creative writing? Did you write rom-coms yourself? Most of the creative writing in the classes they
1: did were more like memoir type okay. writing, like more like autobiography or biography taking like a creative spin on it. So I actually yeah. haven't written a rom-com, but through Meet Cute, like as soon as I find the time to stop running the company, I will write a rom-com. <laughs> There's a lot going on for me to, I know I need to do one eventually. But I mean, I like to find the rom in things that I observed in my everyday life. So I talked, I wrote something about my parents falling in love. I wrote something about my grandparents falling in love. And I think I've just always been drawn to stories about like how humans connect. And so Mm. that to me is like the basis of any rom-com because there has to be some truth in that for you to go write a fictional story about it.
0: Absolutely. So you're at Union Square Ventures, and you are seeing firsthand companies that are getting their start. And you're you talked about pattern recognition. So I'm sure you're having a lot of reps in the sense that you're getting to see a lot of companies go through the same thing, which is trying to launch. What did you learn specifically there? And when at what point did you have the idea to start something on your own?
1: Yes, I would meet with usually like, Somewhere more between five or seven companies every day. Those were new companies. Wow, really? Yes. Like they would either come into USV or I would go get coffee with the founder. And then I also got a really cool opportunity to sit on a lot of boards with the partners at USV. So I get to see what like the internal conversations were like early on. Some of the things that I realized at like the seed or even the series A stage of founding was that there was just an insane amount of experimentation that happened Mm -hmm. up until the time you find product market fit. And even after you find product market fit, so much of what companies do is take some sort of read on their customer base or their users or the market they're in, come up with something creatively internally that they want to launch, go launch it, see how it performs, look at the data from that, And then kind of start that process again, either tweaking it or starting from scratch completely new. Trial and error. Trial and error. A-B testing. Mm -hmm. And the superpower for the companies that ended up being really good and really backable as a VC were the ones that could do that really quickly and make Mm. decisions really fast. So they were like, that's not working. Shut it down. Try this. Or Mm. that's working, but I think we should put this on it. Let's go build this, launch it by the end of the week or by next week, latest speed. Exactly. And like, I think this could be taken in the right way or the wrong way. So like, I like to think about it in the right way, like not being super precious. Like, obviously you have to be careful. And if your product is going to impact people, you need to make sure that it's not going to hurt anyone or harm anyone or anything like that. But the first version of anything going out in the world is never going to be the best version of it. And not having to like sit there and perfect it because you might miss the opportunity to go get valuable feedback from the people who are
0: actually going to use it. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: To Dine For, the podcast, is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, in the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Grilling season is here, and you may be looking for the perfect wine pairing for your delicious summer cooking. The Federalist offers a lineup of American craft wines that are bold, full-bodied, and crafted with as much quality and character as the men they celebrate. Each bottle featuring audacious takes on traditional styles. The Federalist is the perfect companion to anything that you're grilling up tonight. You can use promo code TDF20 to get 20% off your first bottle at uncork.com. Cheers everyone. Now back to our conversation. Basically, don't be a perfectionist. Like if you're really trying to scale and find out what works, it's got to if it's got to be just pretty good and people respond to it, don't try to perfect it and then have it and then see that nobody likes it.
1: Exactly, because if you try and perfect it, then you're just building what you think is like n equals one mm. is believes, but if you go put it out there, you can basically turn your entire market into part of the building process with you because you're like observing them, analyzing their their experience using it or consuming it, whatever the product is, and then you can make it better through that.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. So you were probably at this point gathering so much information on how, to, how do you make a pitch? I mean, these people were meeting with you. You said five to seven companies or founders a day, and you were getting all this information on what resonated, what sticks, and also what was going to secure venture capital funding, correct?
1: Totally. I think that that was the muscle and the pattern recognition that I was able to carry over from my previous experience into VC, which is just being able to have a conversation with someone who's an expert in the field, ask intelligent questions in order to get to that level where you feel conviction around putting a check into the company. Yes. And USB is a thesis-driven firm. So the thesis kind of has evolved over the last couple of decades, but largely is about network effects in three verticals, which are knowledge, capital, and well-being. And so the thesis kind of acts as like the first filter. So if something fits that thesis, then we'll look at it a little bit more closely. And then we have to be excited about the vision of the company five to eight years from now. That is the company that we want to see working in eight years. And if we have that excitement, then we look at, okay, who is the team? What experience do they have to be able to build in this space? What initial traction do they have? Are there initial partners that are excited about this? And we can kind of start to back into, do we think this will be successful or not? And do we want to be along for that ride? And so there is kind of every company is so different, but there is a little bit of a model that you can start to build for yourself as you're meeting all these companies to make that decision process a little bit more
0: straightforward. And it sounds like you really enjoyed this process, not only of meeting these folks, but also of absorbing what made them successful and what did not. So this was all, it was all like, you know, we talk about the uh, connecting the dots looking backwards, right? At some point, you made the decision to do something on your own, obviously inspired by so many of the founders that you were meeting. You said, why not me? I'm going to bet on myself. I have an idea. Talk me through that process. First of all, explain to people what was the idea and at what point did you think, okay, let's do this? Yes. So at some point I launched Meet Cute, which is a romantic
1: comedy entertainment brand. And we make hundreds of rom-coms and own that IP so that we can go take it into other formats like TV and film, like books, We can create community around it. So really think about MeQ as like a full stack entertainment brand built digitally for modern audiences. Okay, so let me take you back to how it started. Yes. Which is, I was at USB. I was looking specifically at the well-being space, which basically, before we started looking at media companies and entertainment companies, was healthcare and mental health. So I spent a lot of time with those companies. And then one of the partners at USB, Andy, and I were really spending time thinking about what does it look like for a media company or an entertainment company to be venture backable? Because mm. there actually aren't that many examples of VCs right. backing this type of company. It's mostly Absolutely
0: Hollywood.
1: Yes. And so we spent a lot of time meeting companies in the space. I was doing a lot of kind of due diligence on these companies, trying to figure out what would get us over that initial hump to be able to make, a, make an investment here? And through that process, like you said, I loved this process. So through that process, I ended up kind of doing two things, one of which I'd never done before, and that was putting together a business plan for what this company would look like for us to make a VC bet in entertainment and feel comfortable with that bet, like it matched other things in our portfolio. And as I was putting together this business plan, I was looking for the company so that when I would meet that company and find it, it would match what I had written up and what I'd been working on. And we could say, let's go. We understand this. We know exactly what we're getting into. So, long story short, we didn't end up finding that company out there today that was very quickly incubating a lot of stories, testing things really fast, going back to what I learned from founders. And so, a couple of the partners at USV were like, this is really exciting. We haven't made an investment in this space before. You have done a lot of work on the space. Like basically for six months, I'd been talking about this internally and thinking about it, working closely with Andy on it. So basically I ended up veering off the career path that I thought I was on, which is venture capital and <laughs> saying, let me go stress test this idea. So I hired an initial team around me. We started making our first few
0: stories. So where is the funding coming from? And now is USV helping you out with this? Are they they kind of giving you the green light? Let's say, hey, here's some funding to to build this team and to try this. So it wasn't that easy. They said, (laughs) you know, why don't you spend
1: some time incubating this? I spent three months just working on it. That's where the team came in and all of that. And then I actually came back into USV and pitched them.
0: Nice. And then
1: they, it was actually one of the weirdest experiences for me I sat in this investment team meeting every single week for the past two years, and then to be on the other side of the table pitching my team. Oh, it must have been so surreal. It was a crazy experience, but one that I'm really, really thankful I had the opportunity to do because no matter how many hundreds of pitches I sat in where I was on the investor side and a founder was coming in, I don't think I could have ever put myself in their shoes in a better way than just going and sitting in their shoes on that side of the table.
0: Yeah. And what do you think you had learned from all sitting on the other side that you brought to that moment when you pitched yourself? You know, what was, what was like, can you mention like two or three things that you had learned that you knew you could knock it out of the park because you learned?
1: Definitely. So the first one I'll repeat is experimentation, like rapidly testing. And I basically showed. In those few months that I was incubating, that I could be the one to make those really quick decisions, try things, fail quickly, but then try more. And that that process did not scare me. So I, I showed that. The second thing was that I could hire an incredible team around me, especially not coming from media and entertainment. The thing that I had to talk about was the way that I was going to approach this industry differently than all the other Hollywood companies and entertainment companies that came before me. And so one, convincing people to come work for you, really smart people to come work for you is a really hard
0: thing. And at this point, you're, you're under 30, right? At this point when you were pitching, yes. weren't you in your 20s? Yes, I'm 24 at this point. Wow. Um, okay. Yes. But I think so, that's relevant. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't believe in asking people their age, but I, it's very relevant for people to understand what you'd learned, where you were in your career, and really how much of a risk this was. Totally.
1: totally. I mean, yes, you have to be super, super willing to take risks. And there is a job for risk averse people in this world. And then there's a job for risk takers and founding is 100% a job for risk takers.
0: I completely agree.
1: Those were probably the two big things that I showed. And then also vision, like having a plan for like, this is where we should expect the company to be in six months from now. This is where we should expect the company to be in 12 months from now. And then this is where we expect the company to be in five years from now. That map, who knows whether it's accurate or not when you go into that room for the first time. But being able to speak to that, I think, is really important. And quite frankly, I think that's something that I learned from my experience at USB. You don't want to short sell that vision. You also don't want to exaggerate that vision. Like exactly to hit the sweet spot is so important because people can like see through it when you do either one of those. Right. There is a vision that is reachable and accessible that you can logically step towards when you present. And I think that piece is really important. And the founders that I talked to in my two years in venture that really stood out to me were the ones that I was like, I could go work for them. Like, I understand the vision. I would want to be a part of that. And so I really tried to bring that into my pitch to USB that first time.
0: That is really spot on because, you know, to get someone excited about your vision of where it's going, of the money that it could make and why it's important. I think we, before we move on with this interview, I think it's really important to flesh out what Meet Cute is because I, from what I understand, one of the most crucial parts of it is the diverse characters and storytelling that's a part of this. You've picked an industry that's incredibly difficult, but you've picked Two things that are really on the rise, and one of them is podcasting, right? And especially when you started, like podcasting is booming now, but it was really just getting going when you started. And I feel like to be able to tell stories that are diverse, that are unique, that are from um, that you don't normally hear. There is such value and power and vision from that. I'm just wondering, where did that idea come from? Was it your personal life? Was it how you grew up in Portland?
1: Definitely. It was super important from day one that our stories were reflective of the wide audience that we wanted to be a part of our community. And to me, that's everyone, because I think Mm -hmm. that the world needs more of these stories and that everyone can find something to relate to in a rom-com. Love is one of the most universally understood emotions. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, I loved rom-coms. Like I said, I actually watched a lot of them with my dad in like my preteen and teen years. And one of my favorite early rom-coms was Bend It Like Beckham, yes. um, which is about this young South Asian woman who lives in London. Her family has certain expectations of her and she wants to play soccer. And growing up, I was a massive tomboy. I loved playing soccer. I chased my brother, my older brother, around everywhere. And it was the first time that I saw a character like me reflected on screens. Wow. And I couldn't articulate it for the longest time, but I just went back and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched that movie because I was like, you can have it all. Like, you can be Mm. a tomboy. You can get your love story. You can play soccer. You can be a badass at whatever you're doing. And I think that that was a really formational experience for me that when I think about like just the early conversations at Meet Cute, instead of creating a writer's room internally where the same people wrote the stories, produced them, acted in them, we decided to not have any in-house creators and only work with freelance talent. So today our team is six people full-time, but we have over a thousand writers, actors, directors, producers, sound engineers working on these stories and whether they are talent that you can hear when you listen to the story or talent that's behind the scenes, there is so much diversity that is infused into the stories. And that to me is how you get diverse storytelling. It's not by saying we need a queer rom-com. Let's go get this queer rom-com told. We need a rom-com about with Asian people in it. Let's go tell the story. No, it's Actually, starting from the creators, building it into the business model, and then saying, "Go tell the stories that you think you want the world to hear, that you're uniquely positioned to tell, and then bringing them to the platform Meetcute to tell those stories and to do it as efficiently as possible. Efficiency actually is a big part of diversity at Meet Cute because the more stories that we're able to tell, the more voices that are able to be heard, and then the more we can bring those voices into mainstream entertainment. So I I don't think that this is possible without actually building it into the business model. And that, I think, is one of the early decisions that I'm really, really proud of at Me Cute that has propagated through everything that we do and has really widened how many stories we're able to tell here.
0: Well, you bring up a really... Great point. And that is like when I think about rom-coms from my childhood, and I'm um, a lot older than you, but like I think of Meg Ryan, and I think of Julia Roberts, right? I think of Diane Keaton, and these are all white women, and they're they're wonderful. You got male, And I think they're wonderful yes. stories, but there has been just like a incredible lack of diversity especially when it comes to romantic comedies and you are tapping into something that our country as diverse as it is desperately needs so you know they always say with any great venture you always start with a problem that needs to be solved and in in a way that's what you're doing with this i'm really interested though but when you start to kind of vet some of these stories right and they're most of them begin in podcast form as you said how how do you convince the powers that be that this is going to make money? Right? Because here you are mid 20s. How do you know that the, even though you have this fabulous, really well-told podcast that you will get the IP, that you will that it will become a movie, that you will be able to get it in front of the right set of eyes? Talk me through that process.
1: A lot of it is conviction in the idea and knowing that the market has always been looking for more and more IP and users, consumers, audiences want more of this content. So we've seen the appetite for it. And we know that having an, an IP incubator or like an incubator for stories is something that can provide for that appetite and and kind of be a funnel for the market. So we've kind of lots of research, lots of conversations, seeing what people are consuming. Rom coms are one of the most consumed types of stories out there, both in books and in audiobooks, books, TV and film. And it's kind of pandemic proof or recession <laughs> proof. Like these are the stories that people yeah. go to right. when times are really hard. And, and we saw that in the last two years.
0: So do you, so do you start with a few podcasts? Like, do you, do you start with a couple of podcasts that you think will, will do well and just, and just look at the data? Like who is listening to what, what are the storylines that are working and kind of go from there? I'm just wondering how, how at the very beginning, you know, you now have more than 300 uh, different stories out through meet cute, but, but how did that very beginning start? So the very beginning, we did put
1: a few stories out there just to see like what format is working for people. Where do people drop off when they listen? Do people come Mm -hmm. back to engage in the next story? And we're collecting a lot of data and we're actually overlaying that data with insights that we can pull out about user behavior in the audio space, the way that people are interacting with the stories, the way that people are leaving reviews or, or rating us. But our method then accelerated, I think, more than most would expect, where then we were like, instead of putting out three or four stories, what if in the next nine months we release 100 stories and just see what Mm. happens? And that gave us a lot of data to be able to then dive into and say what's working, what's not. We learned that people wanted slightly longer stories. They wanted to stick around for more than just 15 minutes. Our initial stories were more short stories. Today, we do 90-minute series that allow for people to stick around with the characters and really get to know them. And so every single story that we release, going back to like, how do we convince people that this idea is good and that there's a business here, we gain some type of learning from our audience by looking at the data and the metadata that we can pull out of the stories. Was the story about young characters or old characters? Did it have music in it or not? Did it have a narrator Mm -hmm. or not? There's Mm -hmm. so many little toggles that we're learning about what works and what doesn't work so that every story that we make gets better and better over time, thereby increasing the chances the audience like it and increasing the chances that this specific story can go on to have a life, not just in audio, but in digital video, in TV and film. It can spark a merchandise opportunity. It can create a community around those characters that people want to engage in, we could do a live event where those characters show up somewhere and people want to go meet them. So our whole model is like produce a lot of stories, see what works, keep using those insights to make new ones. And that is the unique part of our business that convinced investors to put money in, convinces Hollywood that these stories are worth spending time with and are worth adapting or bringing to other formats and convinces our audience that we're listening to them and that we want to create better and better stories each time that, that they listen.
0: So presumably to be a success with what you're doing, you have to have a couple of these stories really hit it out of the park, meaning they become major motion pictures, that you have a connection with Hollywood, that then creates stars, that all of the things that you just listed. First question, have you had a success already? And B, What was it like then trying to get your foot into Hollywood once you have this idea? Hollywood has been
1: incredibly receptive to Meet Cute. I think that's where the the genre is. We know that we're building in the right space. We know that we're doing something pretty unique that hasn't been done before. And we have had a couple incredible opportunities this year that make me very excited about what the next six months to a year can bring. So the first one is we secured our first TV deal with a production company called Whip in back in February. Whip was the production company behind Mayor of Easttown, if you watched that, yes, or Dickinson. I loved it. Yes. Incredibly intelligent and creative team. They are making a rom-com anthology out of 10 of our stories. So out of the hundreds, they're going to pull 10 to 12 to create a rom-comology is what we're calling it. We also are working with larger Hollywood talent. So we have a management company called Range. They've been helping us bring bigger and bigger talent to Meet Cute Stories because usually our stories feature more up and coming talent. Uh, But we just worked with Owen Thiel, who acted in our series called Green Mountain in June. We also, from Bridgerton, have Charithra Chandran acting in our September series. Super excited for that one. It's a modern retelling of A Midsummer Night's Dream by Shakespeare. We're all Amazing. big nerds and so are super excited for that to come out. And then we're working on a few other deals right now that could potentially turn some of the stories on our slate, both past and upcoming, into future films. So incredible in the last six to nine months, like, My life has been a lot of really good conversations in an industry that I'm new to, but is very receptive to new ideas. And that is something that I couldn't have expected and I'm really happy about.
0: Well, you are—you know—the industry uses the term unicorn almost too much, but I really feel like you are a unicorn because when you think about the way things are done, you're either on the business side of Hollywood or you're on the creative. And if you're a writer, uh, you're you're struggling to get in front of the right people, and you have this idea, or in the business, you're trying to find. You are almost—you kind of reverse engineered the entire process <laughs> and started at the very beginning you know, before you had the creative, you had an idea, but you didn't have any of the creative. So it's really a a truly fascinating journey that you're on. If you could mention the top two things you think you've learned, when did you first start Meet Cute? What year was it?
1: I started it end of 2019, and we publicly launched Valentine's Day of 2020.
0: Amazing. Okay, so in two and a half years, you have done enough research and have put out more than three hundred stories to now just getting traction this year with Hollywood. But that's still like a very short timeline. What do you think you've learned in these two and a half years about this industry and what you're doing?
1: The things that I've so two things that I've learned. The first one is that that marriage of both the quantitative and the qualitative, the creative is where Q exists and where we can really stand out. And so really leaning into that and not shine away from that is yes. something that I had to get really comfortable with and also be able to communicate externally. And I think that that is one of the things that makes us stand out and how we've gotten our foot in the door so early in the trajectory of a company. The second thing is that there are so many different types of storytellers in Hollywood. There are people that want to focus on the drama aspect of rom-coms, people that want to focus on the comedy aspect, people that want more high concept, people that want to create 40 rom-coms a year. So there's so many different types and styles of production companies and creators. And something that I have spent a lot of time learning about and a lot of time with our library figuring out how we can surface the right stories within our library to the people that it fits with best. There is like a matchmaking process in this whole thing where someone will say, you know, we're looking for more YA stories. There's a part of our library that features a ton of YA stories that our team, Meet Cute, knows better than anyone else. And it's our job to find what would fit really well for that creator. Someone Mm. else will come in and say, you know, we've done a lot of YA recently, really want more mature themes great like we hear that we will respond to that and curate something for that team and i think that there's no one size fits all there's no like platform approach to doing that it's a really human process and it's it's very creative but our business and our process lends itself really well to be able to service many different creators and production companies within the industry so i've been really learning what that process is like. And and I've loved getting to hear what people are looking for, what they feel like is their style. And really being able to cater to that has been really a satisfying experience. So those are two things that I've learned in the last like six to nine months as we've started to have more of these conversations.
0: It's so funny, you know, the term meet cute for those who don't, who are listening, who don't know meet cute is, is actually an industry term uh, about a section of a romantic comedy where, you know, the, the protagonists meet, right? And so they call it the meet cute and you, in a great movie, you want it to be a really great meet cute. So it's such a wonderful name for a company. I'm wondering, have you had, uh, I don't know if you're married or you're single, but have you had, have you had a meet cute that's been funny lately? I have. Yeah. I'm in a
1: relationship. (laughs) My meet cute with my partner actually happened in college, but we didn't start dating until just a little over a couple of years ago. Um, So it was actually a meet cute and then a re-meet cute, uh, (laughs) which is a fun story. But we actually Yeah, re-met cute digitally because we were like, it was, we were doing long distance and we're on different coasts. And so a very modern meet cute story.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And and it's, it really is funny. I can't imagine a meet cute with you when you have a company named meet cute, you know, the, the conversation must be really fun. Uh, This has been a blast. Thank you so much, Naomi. It's wonderful to hear your story. I I wish you every success in the world because I think what you're doing is really innovative and genius and just really cool. Thank you so much. I've loved this interview. So thank you for having me here. Yeah, and I hope that it inspires people to rethink and reimagine what they could do when they have an idea because what you did was you really used... Every section of your journey to like a layer on top of layer to get where you're going. And I think everyone can learn something from that, regardless of what industry or career path they've chosen. So thank you. Thank you.
1: I totally agree. I think it's all about like telling a story based on your personality, your skill set, your experiences. And yeah, it's just like taking a risk and going for it and going for it. I hope other people might hear this and say, you know what? Like I've been sitting on this idea. I'm just going to try it and test it out.
0: That's right. And don't have to be perfect, right? It's about speed. Exactly. Um, Well, the next time I'm in Portland, I'm going to Bamboo Sushi, right? Bamboo Sushi. And I'm going to uh, take a photo and I'm going to tag you. So just get ready. Please do. (laughs) I need the. You have to order the green machine. I need the full review. Okay. Sounds great. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at Didine4 with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the Podcast, American National, and Terlotto Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon.